This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Rat Style Review, and you can also check this out on my podcast, Music is Life Podcast. This is Lou Mavs. Welcome. It's not often I get to say I'm interviewing one of my guitar heroes. I'm proud to say I can include Sasha Gerstner from Halloween, Denny Fischel of Sick Life, John Wynn of Shockwire, and Brian Tatler of Diamond Head in that list. But now I get to say I'm interviewing one of my all-time favorite guitar heroes from my motherland, my patrida of Greece. I first discovered this great musician when I heard the album Allegiance in 2006 from his band Firewind, and I was immediately hooked by the skill, melody, and ferocity of the band. I immediately became a fan of the band and guitarist Gus G. I was quite ecstatic for him when he became the guitarist for the Prince of Darkness himself, Ozzy Osbourne, and played on the album Scream. No matter what, you can't deny the skill set of this musician as a guitarist, as a songwriter, and as a performer. He's back with a new live album from Firewind called Still Raging, due out on September 1st, celebrating 20 years of metal excellence and a career that is unparalleled by many of his peers. I'm very proud to welcome to the Ratsai Review Network, Idios Cosas, Carmitrudis, but you know him as Gus G. <laughs> Gus, welcome. Wow. What an intro. <laughs> what can I say? I'm a cunning linguist. <laughs> Ah, see what I did there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for being on. I see you have your awesome collection of Jacksons back there. Yes. Oh, that's actually one with the Floyd Rose back there, I see. Similar to the uh, Randy Rhodes Concord, the white one. You mean? Uh, the Flying V. Th- yeah, that is that is a uh, Rhodes model, one of the new ones they brought out last year. It's called Concept Series. Yeah. I have two Randy Rose guitars, one there and one in the back. I don't know if you can see somewhere there. Very cool. All right. Well, we will start off with the questions. First off, congratulations on 20 years of Firewind. And we are celebrating it with Still Raging, a two CD set and live Blu-ray disc coming out on September 1st on AFM Records Worldwide. You recorded this live in Thessaloniki, which I'm proud to say I visited back in 1996 at the age of 15 and i was blown away by the sights thessaloniki is your home city and your base in greece and most people when they think of recording live albums in europe they usually think of releasing their live set from vakin or sweden rock or hellfest instead you express gratitude for the city that birthed you and gave back to it with a killer live performance how important was it for you to represent thessaloniki in the still raging collection actually this is the second uh live recording we are doing here in Thessaloniki. The first one was back in 2008 
um, when we um, we was we were about to release an album called The Premonition. We had uh, played the album from you know back to back, and then plus a best of set at, at that time, and we filmed it at the same club. Well, actually, it was a different venue, but the same name, like the Principal Club Theater. Um, and that became later on the DVD called Live Premonition. That was back in 2008, you know, when DVDs were a thing. For some of us, they still now, are. <laughs> yeah, I, I had no clue, actually. Um, I don't I don't know where my DVD player is, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, we were doing this show last year, you know. it's uh, It was like right after the pandemic was kind of like winding down and we started doing a few shows. So we booked... We did a U.S. tour and then we had some festivals. And then towards the end of the year, we had a couple of um, uh, Greek shows here in like a, a hometown gig and one in Athens. And it really was by coincidence because the, the and, and I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's like, like some kind of a history repeats itself, but the same film crew that did our DVD 15 years ago, the same guys, I mean, we're friends with them. And they came, they, they came up and they said, hey, Gus, we can send down the van, uh, the the truck with uh, you know with uh, with the guys with the film crew, and the, we can film it again if you want. And I was like, oh wow, do it again at the same venue? I mean, why not? Because the first DVD that we put out, it's not available anymore. Ah, so, out of print. Okay. So yeah, it was out of print. So I thought, you know what? Why not? Let's just do an updated version of that, and you know, celebrate the band's twentieth anniversary in style. So I ended up having this footage in my hands. Um, and I, I really wasn't sure what to do with it. Um, I'm glad that we got to do it in my hometown. Of course, it means a lot to me um, because this is where I was born and raised in Thessaloniki. And uh, we have a killer fan base here. Uh, I don't know if you've checked out a few songs already, uh, but you'll see they were they were crazy uh, in a good way. So um, Very. we always love playing here. Yeah, I missed an opportunity to see you perform live. You were in Rhodes, I think, in the summer of 2015, the island of Rodo. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you were performing the week after I left. And I was like, oh, I could have seen him <laughs> if I had only known. I would have loved to have seen you. Uh, that was a cool God. show, actually. Yeah, it was a nice club there. Um, and there it was right around the time when I was putting out a solo record, I think Brand New Revolution. And yeah, that was kind of like a one of those the, the same. I think I played there the same day the album came out. I don't know why, but it just so happened. And I've, I've never been back to uh, Rhodes ever since. But uh, that was the only show I've done there. It was nice. Mm, yeah, it's my favorite island that I've been to so far. And uh, prayers for uh, everyone who is uh, affected by yeah. the wildfires there. How has this lineup of Firewind been so far in comparison to past lineups? And of course, I want to give cheers to your bandmates, uh, longtime bassist Petros Christodoulis, uh, drummer Johan Nunez, and from Avantasia, your singer since 2019, Herbie Langens. How has this lineup been working out for you? It's working out really well so far. I mean, we've we've gone through a few lineup changes, especially in the singer position. I mean, Petros and, and Joe have been around the band for a long, long time. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's working out really well with Herbie in the band. Uh, we get along great. And um, he loves what he's a guy who loves what, he's do what he does. He loves touring. He loves being up on stage. And uh, yeah, it's been good, man. Excellent. I did catch the uh, live footage from the Blu-ray. 
amazing performances by all, definitely. Your relationship with AFM Records, they're doing a great job by promoting it. I mean, you know, when we caught wind of the fact that you were available for interviews, uh, we jumped at the chance. And they're a label that has uh, many great artists on it, including Udo Dirkschneider's band and uh, Flotsam and Jetsam. Are, how, how is the uh, relationship with them? I mean, would you say that AFM has been the best label uh, so far for Firewind? I can't really say that they're the best label for us because, you know, we have a history also with Century Media and they right. have developed a band in the early days and, you know, they really supported us. You know, it would be unfair to to uh, Century Media for all the work they put in on our behalf and, and to help us get the band off the ground. But, you know, AFM is doing pretty good job so far. I get along with the label manager and, and all the people there. I have a really good product manager these days and um yeah yeah they are they're passionate about what they're doing um you know record labels their their job has, has changed a lot through the in the recent years because the business model has changed mm-hmm. but uh you know afm i see i there are some things of course that need improvement on like but like everybody else but i think they they were the ones that kind of like they were getting it from the early days of the digitalization of things like they were they're really um caught on to the spotify changes and how this is going to change the revolutionize the music industry and um so they have all these cool ideas about things like that and at the same time of course you know they are the you know they fund our project and they are a good partner you know not only for the digital part but also for putting out cool physical products like this blu-ray and that was in no way meant to put century media in a negative light back in my day of college radio century media would send the best of the best when it came to uh what was out there you know they did a great job promoting shadows fall god forbid firewind so yeah yeah. give them all the credit in the world absolutely you already established as one of guitar's young guns way before you joined ozzy i mean i knew of you before you joined him having done my research on you because, you know, the internet became a big thing by then. So, you know, I had learned that you were a student at Berkeley. You left school to start working on Firewind. You studied with the great Joe Stump, currently of Alcatraz, and worked with so many different projects until Firewind got its first major release. I'm sure every musician gets to a point where being a hired member runs its course before they decide that they've had enough and they want to work on their own material and they're willing to take the risk to ensure success. For you, what would you say was the point where you wanted to establish Firewind as the main priority. And are you still working or willing to work with other bands on different projects or different artists? Well, for me, it started backwards. I mean, I always wrote my own music and I I was heavily involved in all the bands that I participated in, whether it was Dream Evil or, I don't know, Mr. Prophecy or any of those bands. And at the same time, Firewind. Firewind was always kind of like my own baby. Like, that, that's the thing that I kind of started i didn't co-start the band co-found with somebody else but it was just me um you know like doing a, a couple of hired gun gigs came later in my career obviously uh, a little bit with arch enemy back in 2005 and later on with ozzy but yeah i mean for me like i came from the world of from a different world like of you know you make your own music and you take your own risk and you build your own fan base one fan at a time i guess and I went from that into people asking me to join their bands and 
asking to hire me to play guitar for them, which I did obviously for a little bit. And then I always kept going back to my own thing. What would you say is your most memorable takeaway from your time with Joe Stump? He was really cool with me, man. I really enjoyed doing the, the, the lessons with him. Joe has this new classical metal shred background and that's his style. And I loved all that. And we had a lot of guitar players that we both loved and like in common. And uh, yeah, we would have lots of chats about gear and tone and certain records. And he had a lot of cool licks. He, you know, I still have the charts he gave me back then when some charts to to uh, to practice to, to certain licks. And uh, yeah, man, yeah. And he, and he was he was always very nice to me. Wayne from Ratsai Review wanted to know what it was like performing in a band with Snowy Shaw, being that Snowy Shaw is one of his favorite drummers. Also, what were the circumstances behind your departure with that? Playing with Snowy was really cool. You know, he's an incredible drummer. I, I love playing with Snowy, you know, his groove and feel and stuff. And it's kind of interesting because at the time that I was in Brazil with Snowy, he had he didn't have much interest in being a drummer anymore. We knew him from Merciful Fate and King Diamond, but he wanted to be like a all-around artist to write music and and sing and play guitar and i was like oh but you know we know you as this great drummer and i just love jamming with him you know in my years with, with dream evil i i you know me and snowy we we got along great and we we hung out a lot and we wrote a lot of songs together um the reason basically why i i quit dream evil was because the the band i was frustrated because the band was getting pretty successful but the rest of the band were not, you know, besides me and Snowy, the rest of the guys were not really willing to tour and build it up. And, you know, they just wanted to, to remind, remain kind of like a hobby band or like a side thing. And, you know, I was in my early 20s and I wanted to rule the world. <laughs> Nothing so, wrong with that. Yeah. So, you know, those were not good enough answers for me. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it on my own. I'm, I'm out of here. So that that's what happened. <laughs> This actually leads me to your next question. With the multiple bands that you've had, I mean, especially like dating back to a year like 2003, you know, with, with Firewind, Dream Evil, Mystic Prophecy, and Night Rage, how hectic was it working on all those albums? Uh, were they all recorded around the same time? Or do you kind of plan where you work on material for one project? And then once that's done, you kind of create new material for a new project when the time allots itself. Do you have like a specific um... process? Well, nowadays I, I I plan my time very, very differently uh, in my schedule. Uh, back then, in the early days, those bands were not signed; there were no obligations. So I would just write with whoever and all those guys and different bands, and I was just working on different projects at the same time until things started picking up. Uh, nowadays, I mean, I will focus on doing like a Firewind record, and then you know we'll go on a tour. And then I'll figure out what the next step is. And I always kind of collect ideas on my computer and then I revisit them. And then I'll see, I mean, the last five or six years, it's been like one firing album, one solo album. And that cycle will repeat pretty much. After a long partnership with ESP Guitars, you're now officially part of the Jackson Charville family. I have to admit that the name brand and quality of Jackson Guitars, whether they're made in the United States or Indonesia, by far some of the most well-crafted and best-sounding guitars I've ever played or performed with. Other names associated with Jackson brand include Phil Cullen of Def Leppard, Phil Demel of Violence, and Adrian Smith of Iron Maiden. What were the circumstances that you would say led you towards Jackson? Obviously, the opportunity was great to collaborate with them, but uh, I really liked 
uh, the ideas that they had. Um, and I liked the team in the company. I liked, uh, you know, I, I got along great with the guys in the, in the company and, um, you know, they had great ideas about how to launch my guitars, what to do, how to redesign my star shapes. Um, and at that time I was with ESP for 12 years, but, uh, most of the people that I was working with, they were, they were either let go or, or quit. And ESP was going through a lot of internal changes. And I think a lot of things got lost there in translation. So I think they were just changing priorities too. So it was just like a business decision more or less. And, uh, to me, I, you know, honestly, all, all of the big guitar brands, they make great guitars. So it wasn't about the guitars. It was more about like, you know, how you connect with people and are we on the same page of what we want to do here? So that was a, that was the question for me back in 2016. And I decided to make that change, which was a big change for me. And, uh, but I'm glad I did it because it has been, you know, Jackson is the, the, the best, um, uh, partner or sponsor if you like that i've had in my career they're they're amazing and um not only they make great guitars for me and uh they're really uh open-minded about discussing ideas and stuff and but they're also uh, there's a lot of exciting things happening with them all the time and um and they have a great network because they are owned by fender so actually they've been able to to sell a lot of guitars i mean i've i've seen the sales of my guitars going higher and higher and which was you know as a business decision it was pretty good you know? one day i will loan a gus g jackson one day i will it will be mine oh yes it will be mine i hope so <laughs> i also want to discuss your use of uh black star amps i love their sound as well being that live sound has become kind of consolidated into smaller packages now. For example, uh, Misha Mansour of Periphery created the Horizon Devices Apex preamp, which could fit into a pedal board and go directly into front of the house. Blackstar now has their own version of the amp in the box called the Amped, which is 100 mm -hmm. watts and can fit into a pedal board. For logistical purposes and maybe fly-in dates like festivals, could you ever see yourself using these products or do you feel that the backline amplifiers is a necessity for the live performance. It depends what you want to do, really. Um, I recently got into uh, in-ear monitors. I didn't do that before. So I really needed to hear a few cabs on stage and loud amps. But now that I'm using in-ear monitors the last couple of years, I don't need to have all that volume on stage, for example. Um, however, I still love using the tube amp. There's something that cannot be really replicated exactly, at least up until now, in my opinion. There's something magical about a tube amp going into a 4x12 cab. Um, and I still use it like that. I still, that's how I still play on stage. Uh, and I mean, luckily now Blackstar have come up with smaller amps as well. They came up with an amp called St. James. I don't know if you know it. Um, but it's like a the lightest weight 50 watt tube amp in the world. It's like, it's, it weighs like, I don't know, like five kilos. What's that? Like eight or nine pounds? Roughly, yes. And uh, yeah, you can probably carry, I, I carry it on the on, on board with me as a carry on, you know, on the <sighs> flights. So it's very light and it's 
it's all tube, you know, it's six or six tubes. And it also has like this XLR out with like built-in IRs. Oh, that's convenient to have a tube yeah. with an XLR output on the back. Oh, geez. Absolutely. Sounds incredible. And I, I mean, I use it with, you know, with my, with my cab, of course, but, uh, but I'm just saying like technology has come a long way. So nowadays you can get like a full tube amp that is you know almost as big as like a pedal board or something yeah but yeah i like i like the amp i uh, they brought out you know i tried it it's pretty cool um but yeah i'm like a, i'm like a tube guy still I, I like playing tube amps fair enough one thing i appreciate about your style is that most of if not all of your guitars well i see the flying v has a floyd rose but you mostly use hardtail bridges and so there's less reliance mm -hmm. on tremolo systems and more of a dependence on your own feel and technique of the instrument. When you were developing your style or constructing solos in the studio or live, what was it that gravitated you towards the approach of modeling your guitars with the hardtail bridge? It just felt better for me. I just had a better, I got a better grip of, you know, my right hand for the riffs and the solos. And I just felt that it had a better intonation, more sustain. So yeah, sure. You cannot do dive bombs and all those things, but whatever you know i was never really a huge fan of all that either um and yeah i have a few guitars with tremolo systems but mainly i, I like the, the stop tail bridges i know you have some uh, european shows in the coming future uh but as we see with a lot of artists performing internationally uh there seems to be issues with visas and health mandates and logistics such as paying venues a percentage of merchandise fees and figuring out how much overhead to bring on tour have you run into any of these issues and has it hindered the touring experience for you at all? Or do you get involved to the point where you consider the best case scenarios for all involved way in advance where everyone profits from it? You know, you, the crew, the band, the fans and the venue. We always plan ahead uh, everything we do. And, you know, I'm heavily involved with logistics and everything as I'm also managing the band. Um, and of course, we've run into these situations. You know, nobody escapes these uh, uh, venue fees nowadays or, you know. You, you know it's wrong. It's know. wrong. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, sus. I, I'm disgusted <laughs> by you all. I mean, it happens, unfortunately. Not everybody does it. Not every venue does it, but some do it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that definitely that's that's a bummer when that happens you know and of course like in certain european countries you have to deal also with vat on top of all those um it's a valued added tax thing you don't have that in america but in europe we deal with that so all the sales you have to pay an extra vat which is from 20 percent to 27 percent, depending on oh. the country on top of the the, the venue uh, cuts so you know a lot of the merch income goes right out of the window in taxes and and venue um, cuts, and um, I'm not sure you can escape the the VAT. But I think like this, uh, like the the venue the venue cuts. I think yeah, that's disgusting. It's it shouldn't be happening, especially like when I think like especially when the venue has been hired by the promoter. So. It's already, those guys got their daily fee, whatever they want for the venue. Why you do you, I'm always thinking, why do they want to like um, get an extra percentage for a small corner when you do like a pop-up shop or something when they've already gotten the rent for the day? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's, that blows my mind. Anyways, but um, 
Yeah, man, like touring is not cheap. It's very expensive and it's gotten way more expensive. I was doing flight shows this summer. Incredibly expensive nowadays. Like even flying Europe to take a flight from Greece to Germany, which is like only like a two-hour flight. It's like it went like one-third higher the costs. So Oof, everything is just rough. more expensive nowadays. This is why know. it's important people buy physical media. It supports the bands. It keeps them on the road and keeps them doing what they love, releasing the music you love. Everybody got that? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, the support from the fans is basically the reason why we do it. And that's what keeps everything going. And I think pe most people know that by now. Uh, not everybody, but I think the majority of the fans know. Um, so, yeah, for, for some, it's it's, uh, it's harder than, uh, than others. But I think depending on your level, you have to deal with different level of expenses and different numbers. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, for us, luckily, we've been able to to navigate through all this so far successfully without really um, going in the red. So it's been okay. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't get any worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. We know that Ozzy has had a couple of health issues in the past years. Uh, we wish him well with all this health. Have you maintained any contact with him to see how he's been doing? Not, not really. Not very much. I mean, I... I sent a couple of emails like in the beginning when he had um, when I heard he got injured, you know, I uh, I just sent my wishes, you know, I, I emailed Sharon and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much keeping up with them online like the rest of the world when we whenever he issues an update for his health. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I hope I hope he can uh, get back on track. And, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be able to tour again in the scale that he used to, but at least, you know, so he can do a couple of nice farewell shows, at least a couple of one-offs, you know, I think, I think he will, he would really like that. And I think he will because he's the Iron Man. So I don't think you can, uh, <laughs> you can, I don't think you can take him off stage that easily. <laughs> Very cool. Also, I watched the live footage of you performing with former Iron Maiden vocalist, Paul Diano. And I have to admit, that was the oh, best yeah. live footage I've seen of Paul in a very long time. You and the whole band sounded great. What was the experience like playing the classic Diano Maiden era material? Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. And Paul was very nervous because those were like a, the first few shows he has done like in six or seven years. But he did great. You know, he did great. And uh, he was really excited. He was nervous. And, you know, he had all this adrenaline and stuff. And uh and uh, yeah, Maiden fans in Greece, I mean, all over the world, but here in Greece, it's like Maiden is like religion. So, oh, I, I got wasn't... I got mobbed for my Maiden shirts when I visited Greece every time that I went. <laughs> uh, my Maiden shirts, my Iced Earth shirts, uh, my yeah. Man of War shirts. Yes, I, yeah. I know. I, I, yeah. I felt the love. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh... So, you, so, you, so you get the vibe. Yeah, that was great, man. It was great playing those, those legendary songs. And uh, we worked hard at, you know, with the band. We rehearsed a lot. We wanted to put on a, a uh, we wanted to be a great backing band for Paul, you know, to do his thing. You definitely accomplished that. And I think it's great that you can be the only guitar player that performed with both singers, the original singers of my two favorite bands of all time, Sabbath and Maiden. So that oh, wow. uh, that's I, a, know, I, I never thought about that like that. <laughs> that's a pretty cool accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> As, aside yeah, from wow. what you've done on your own, of course, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, not yeah. taking anything yeah. away from you. Um, no, no. If people want to find out more about what Gus G is doing or what Firewind is doing, where can people find you on the Internet? 
it's pretty easy these days, isn't it? You just type in the name and it'll show up. <laughs> I know, but I like to give uh, the artists I interview their, their chance to plug their yeah. stuff. Yeah, man, thanks. No, Gus G Official and Firebin Official on Instagram, Facebooks, Twitters, and what have you. Um, I'm now learning how to use TikTok as well because uh, it seems TikTok. that that's... Yeah, but it seems that uh, that's where it's going to go. That's where all the music... Uh, industry is going to go in the next few years. And that's what everybody's talking about, at least. That's the vibe I'm getting. And um, people are even talking about the fall of um, Spotify and TikTok music, you know, being the main music outlet. Who knows? Like, so many opinions these days, right? Let's see how it goes. In my lifetime, and you and I are the same age, we're both born in 1980, how many changes in the music industry have you and I alone have seen? Oh, from, it's ridiculous. Oh, many, many. To me, these are like tools. That's how I look at them. I don't look at them as like the devil. You know, they are tools so I can connect with people and put my music out there. So I don't, you know, of course, there's many wrong things with it. But, you know, as long as you know why you use social media, right? then you're good. The only thing I'm not crazy about is using artificial intelligence to create uh, songs. I think that's ridiculous. I, and and people yeah. are doing that. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, people are going to experiment with it now and let's see mm. let's see how far this goes, you know. I'll be it'll be interesting to see, you know. You, we see people I think Avenged Sevenfold put out a song written with uh, AI like AI wrote it for them and they performed it. Are you serious? Ah. Oh. I, I I I read that they did that and and it was not like it sounded like Avenged Sevenfold, but it was not like a really great song and i think they kind of like said yeah we didn't you know we were but they were trying testing the waters and i think yeah i think bands are like now doing uh, ai music videos so um well the, i don't know man it's it's changing it's changing quickly well the music videos i can understand i mean that, that that's okay but i mean to create songs it's like i don't know um i i i guess i'm still old school i'd rather hear just somebody playing their instrument and doing it well and giving me a reason oh, yeah to, you I, know like i'll take that any day I prefer that too, of course. Yeah, yeah. You can't, and you know, you, obviously, AI can be very advanced, but it will never replicate the feelings of somebody creating something unique. It can right. only copy something from somebody who's unique. So there you have it, right there. Absolutely. Uh, finally, I'd like to ask: Do you have any special message for your fans? Yeah, man. Stay healthy. Listen to metal, and thank you for watching and listening to this. Gus G, review. Thank you so much for coming to Ratsaw Review. This was a real honor for me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and grateful. Thank you so it's a much. Pleasure, man. Thank you. Very cool. Thank you. Hey, Have a good one. Thanks. If you want to find out more about Ratsaw Review, check out ratsawreview.com. Also, check out my link tree, Link Tree Music is Live podcast. For Gus G from Firewind, this is Lou Mass from Ratsaw Review. Thanks for watching or listening, and cheers to you.